Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you have not yet given us a five-star rating or reviewed us, pause this recording and give us a five-star rating and a fond review. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great, and thank you for asking. I missed, I always uh, I'm, I missed recording with you last week. It's, it's always a highlight of the week yeah. to hang out with you. And, and when you pitched this, uh, this very podcast, you know, I, I was reluctant because I, I, I don't have time for this. But then when I realized, like, wait a second, I just get to hang out with my brother for an hour each week. Uh, like that, that, uh, made it so much easier to be like, well, I, and it, it coincides with, with my, um, study of scripture for uh, sermon prep. And so I'm bummed that, that we didn't get to record last week. And, uh, for a while I was slightly concerned, uh, about potential breach of contract. Uh, <laughs> and then I remember that I don't have a contract. Uh, have you been holding out on me? Where's my contract is. Uh, I made. Why, I made why is my John Hancock not on a piece? I of made paper? a handshake deal in a dark back alley on New Year's Eve isn't, with isn't president po- it... with the president of podcasting. That's right. That's right. With president business. Hey, uh, um, great joke. Saw a great joke today. Great joke. Okay, let's hear it. Adam and Eve, the first to not read the Apple rules and conditions, <laughs> terms and conditions. <laughs> So, so, uh, the you first not of many the terms and conditions. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, um, our, our schedules were both tight and we thought we had a window and, um, should we, should we, should we, should we share behind the curtain? <laughs> I don't know. Let's, 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 uh, preserve the mystery. Okay. All right. It's mysterious. Yes. So we're back. We're back. Um, last day of September. How was your September? Kirk, September has been, been good. Uh, it, it's been hot here. It's been, uh, good. A lot of adjustments in the house as far as, um, welcoming Anna, our, uh, delightful Colombian, uh, ex- member of our extended family. Uh, yeah. and, uh, so that that's, it's been fun to introduce her to various things, uh, in Sioux Falls and, and in the surrounding area. Last Saturday, we went to the corn maze, yes. which was, you know, it's, it's something you have to do every fall. And, uh, certainly the five international interns, four of whom are from Colombia, one from El Salvador. They enjoyed that. Did um, you guys stick together or did you split, oh, we up, split up? We split up. Did you yeah. crush them all? Uh, yes. And, and competitive. <laughs> Jordan and I um, were a team like and this was this was totally informal, <laughs> totally like 
unorganized. So there's uh, essentially two families, uh, five kids total, five interns, um, four, four adults, uh, and split up into probably five or six different groups. Uh, Jordan and I did very well. Very well. Uh, she, there were spots where the corn was thin enough to slip from right. one part of, <laughs> but she uh, refused to do that. She that, did not want to cheat. I think we were the fastest to actually complete the maze. There were, I think, 10 different points throughout. And the maze was very complicated, like to get from. What was the theme? And, did it have a theme? Like most corn mazes, yeah. like the good ones have like, if you, if you saw it from a drone above, yeah. it would look like something. Yeah. So the center was a lion. Okay. Um, and then above and on either side of the lion were a kind of right angle, uh, kind of typical maze uh, okay. parts. And, and each of the things was labeled, like each of the, uh, the kind of points where you're supposed to check in. Right. Yep. And then there, but there was one treasure box that was just somewhere. And you know where it was? Kirk was at a dead end. Oh, that we didn't find without help, but that wasn't part of the maze. That was like a bonus. Like you get a piece right. of candy if you do that. But um, then in the bottom left of the maze were triangles, which were not these right angled things. Yeah. Okay. So like totally threw off your sense of direction, right? You know, where the rest of the maze you're, you're kind of going North or South or East or West. Suddenly you're, you're, you're at a diagonal for all these things. And you were told that one of the, num one of the checkpoints was just somewhere in the <laughs> triangles. So, uh, Oh, I will post uh, a picture of the map. Nice in in uh, the the discussion. Uh, it was it was it was a very good map and, and a lot of fun. And it was just a, a fun group. And uh, I mean, it's it's it, it was quite difficult because um you you had those areas the areas that are north and south with a little bit of patience it's easy. But then when you get to like the line in the middle, uh, everything was irregular as far as the the shape of the lines and and. And so you had to really, really pay attention. So, so all of that was a lot of fun and, and very difficult. Kirk, do you do a corn maze annually? Uh, only recently. Um, and uh, why? I don't know why, because I love them. It, mm. uh, it checks a bunch of boxes in my mm -hmm. personality. Mm. Uh, do you remember uh, when we were young, our, our father noticed that I would love like campsites on canoe trips or islands mm. That, that had like a series of trails. Mm -hmm. I just like, yeah, like figured out. Yeah. exploring labyrinths, anything yeah. that's like that. I, I just, I just love. But if, if we were uh, Hindus, you know, perhaps <laughs> your last, your previous life was as a lab rat or something like solving. That's mazes. right. <laughs> but uh, also I I'm fascinated by corn mazes. It, it, it's a, it's like a personality amplifier. So you get mm. a group of people sure. and they all, they'll go there and everyone's given the map and you have some people for whom life is the journey and they just, at some point they like, they lose patience with checking where they are in the map and they just end up ambling through. And if they find <laughs> stuff, they find stuff and it's okay. And they're hanging out with other people. And for other people, the point is the destination. I mm. am the destination camp. <laughs> mm. And like Simon immediately understood that. He's like, dad, can we just go? I'm like, yes, we are going now. <laughs> and I love maps. And yeah. so I just, I, I, I don't entirely identify with like the people who are sitting there continually spinning their maps, 45 degrees, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like wondering which way is up. I'm like, I like, this is where we are. you got to know where you are. How do you know where you are if you aren't following the map? So it's funny. And like uh, immediately, you know, uh, a child or two will 
it's usually Bryden and Simon will gravitate to me and they're like, let's just, let's do this. Let's crank this out. And George, you know, George is more about the journey, man. The fun, it's, it's about the friends we made along the way, right? <laughs> so it's funny. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. I like it. I've had a great September. Um, we've had an amazing adult Sunday school class at church. Uh, doing, uh, we're doing a nine-part series on the uh, 2019 Book of Common Prayer mm. because we finally, belatedly, uh, COVID was an obvious hitch in this, um, ordered several boxes for mm. a church. So we have, we'll have physical prayer books in people's hands. Uh, and, and in a month, Archbishop Duncan will be coming to do a special, um, Archbishop uh, Emeritus. Yes, 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 yes. To do, to do a special a... Sunday school lesson. Very cool. Um, he being one of the, the primary authors, I think the author of the preface, um, and mm. has taught several courses on it and, and certainly was a guiding hand behind it. So because I've been, I've been teaching this course at church, people like out of the woodwork, it's time for show and tell. Everyone mm. loves this segment. Mm. Yeah. 1789. Mm. Book of Common Prayer. Um, you can see it, Christopher, but this can. One, you can hear it crinkle in its Ziploc bag. Okay. <laughs> this. 1704. And I'm not entirely certain how to open this clasp. So I'm a little scared. <laughs> then this one. Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. Christopher, you can see 1818. Mm. Like people are, people have just kind of had these. Um, it's amazing. And they're, they're super excited and they, they want, they, they haven't done anything with them. They don't know what to do with them. And now they're like, hey, you like prayer books? Do you want my really old one? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> wow. So I've been, I have accrued three of these through this thing. So um, wow. it's been exciting. And, um, and in some ways it's Christopher, it's dovetailed well with what we've been doing here. Uh, you know, because we've done segments on morning prayer, on evening prayer, on the Magnificat, on the great Thanksgiving, you know, on these, on these, these, these really seminal sections mm -hmm. of, um, of our prayer book. And I, I feel like um, with this on, on this podcast, um, we've had such great discussions about that, that, that um, kind of been set up for success in many ways. Hmm. So that's been my September and that will continue on into November. Very Our cool. time. Kirk, is, Kirk yes. yeah, yeah, hang on real quick. Uh, I want to share, since you mentioned old prayer books, you know, kind of the, uh, the gold standard that everyone looks at and the last one that parliament approved in England was the 1662 prayer book. And I mentioned this because uh, we had a United Methodist pastor join us on Sunday at, at church. Uh, yeah. He had a Sunday off, uh, lives in the metro area. And he said, I was like, how did you find yourself here? You know, he said, well, it's been on my radar for, I've been hoping to do it for a while. And I, I had purchased a 1662 prayer book and started doing, the daily office out of it. And, wow. um, I'm glad to, to be here and to, to, to kneel and pray and, and receive communion. And this is, this is fantastic. And, uh, so anyway, I'm going to meet up with him at some point, but, uh, you know, that was just a brief conversation before and after the service. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I did, I did my, I did my 1662 show and tell previously, yeah. correct? <laughs> And, and these visual segments are our favorites among these our are gonna, these listeners. Are gonna, yes. These are going to hit, hit like, well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, our time is short. And so I'm just going to grind the gears and suggest that we move on to the gospel.
Today's gospel reading comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a dense <laughs> gospel text with a lot to talk about. So I'm kind of curious where the conversation will bring us. But, but first, let's get to the basics. So here we have the Pharisees once again seeking to test Jesus. And so some of the time they would try to test him to try to get him to say something unpopular in front of the crowd, something that would make the crowd turn on him because they were jealous of the crowd's attention. At other times, they sought to, to get him to make an incriminating statement, such as when they inquire about taxes and whether or not it's lawful to pay tax to Caesar. And so this is an example of the latter. Um, they are looking to incriminate him. So remember that John the Baptist had literally lost his head because he was open in his criticism about Herod Antipas marrying his brother's ex-wife. Um, so this very similar thing. So I wonder if the, the Pharisees were like, well, we got John killed. He was kind of a troublemaker uh, and the crowds loved him and, you know, stopped listening to us for a time. And so maybe we can entrap Jesus uh, into incriminating him, himself and perhaps uh, someone will ask for his head on a platter. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that conversation happened as they schemed. So they asked Jesus a general question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And Jesus has, in other circumstances in the gospel, is, is unbelievably brilliant. So instead of answering the question straight out, he, uh, you know, I, I love in, in uh, I love the, the saying, uh, I will answer your question with a question. You know, Jesus <laughs> does that here. Um, and so he, instead of answering, he asks a question. What did Moses command you? And they responded, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And so he's citing, uh, I'm sorry, they're citing Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, which goes like this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. So that's 
that's what Moses has to say about it. That like uh, a man, if he finds an indecency in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. So there's the question of what this word indecency means. We remember when um, Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton said, that depends on what your definition of the word is, is. Um, here, uh, it's a real question. Like, what does inde- indecency mean? And uh, Kirk, as you know, and perhaps as our listeners know, there were multiple schools in Jesus' time. Like rabbis would essentially have these schools of teaching. And um, the, the two famous ones that... I, if our listeners are familiar with any of them would be the, how the, the, the traditions of Hillel and of Shammai are kind of the two famous ones. Um, Shammai, um, this rabbinic tradition says that in the word indecency only means sexual misconduct. So uh, if, if a man finds out that his, his wife has essentially committed adultery, if she has um, had sex outside of um, the marriage bed, that that is grounds for a divorce. And that's the only grounds. But Hillel says, <laughs> he has a much more liberal interpretation. He says, even uh, this, this uh, indecency, that means even if she spoiled cooking a dish for, for her husband, a man may present his wife with a certificate of dis- divorce. Now, I'm not familiar with this other rabbi, Rabbi Akiba. Uh, I don't know if this is a, a famous tradition or if he, if he was a, a lesser one, but uh, he said, even if he finds a woman more beautiful than his wife, he may present his wife with a certificate of divorce, uh, which seems really asking the wrong question, right? Um, these interpretations of the law, they, they, they miss the point. And, and the point is this, what is the purpose of marriage? And so Jesus gets to that um, here. And this is why Genesis 2 verses 18 through 24 our, our Old Testament reading this Sunday, um, because these pair well, like we get the purpose of the creation of woman that, that like man and woman um, leave and um, leave their father and mother and they become one flesh. Yeah. And, uh, and Jesus adds this, he says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. And I mean, like the questions that they are asking, uh, Jesus points out is, is out of hardness of your heart. Moses had to um, uh, develop an idea of, of divorce. You know, like divorce is, is not, really should not factor into the question of marriage um, because like marriage is never um, intended to be a, a temporary thing. You think about like the vows that are made at a marriage. Now, of course, we live in a multicultural society today and, and we have people who go into divorce with a uh, prenuptial agreement, which is essentially a plan for the dissolution of, of a marriage, which is, uh, if you ask me, an insane way to go into marriage because they're, not, they're, they're, they're reserving part of themselves uh, apart from marriage. Uh, but you know, when you think about marriage, like you are taking everything that has become separate and, and, and joining them together and to, to plan to dissolve that, to have a, an actual plan for that um, is contrary to what happens in marriage. And, and I guess what I, what I mean, uh, there, there's a coming together. I don't mean that like there's no sep- sense of a separate life of a man and woman. Like you can have separate social life and different things, but like because of the hardness of heart, because of the sin of, of humanity, um, we have distorted our view of marriage away from the uh, original intent. So with this statement, uh, Jesus, it's a very simple teaching, but it's, it's incredibly deep on like marriage, the purpose, 
you know, uh, what it's about. Um, and so it has things to say about singleness as well. And um, things that, uh, I mean, Kirk, I guess what I'm saying is this could be kind of a choose your own adventure. Like, do we talk more about marriage? Do we talk about what it means to be single in the church? Um, but also we need to get, we need to uh, get to the second part of this text, which is about the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so which, which uh, choose your own adventure, Kirk, which page should we turn to? <laughs> well, well, I, I kind of maybe want a little bit of both. Is that too much to ask? Might be. Well, let's, let's hear it. Where do you want to go? Um, let's do, I, I have, I have some, I have some thoughts on the verse passage. So yeah, we, 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 uh, we, we got Jesus on children a couple weeks ago. So let's, let's continue okay. to dwell on the marriage bit. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so the marriage bit, so not singleness, but, but, uh, marriage, do you have a specific question or do you want me to just keep going on marriage? Uh, well, you, uh, finish your thought. And then I want to bounce, I want to bounce a couple things off you. Okay. Uh, well, I, I do want to say this is, is that, um, God loves the vulnerable. God loves the widow and the orphan. Um, and, and as we read the Beatitudes, you know, we see the heart of God of, of like, uh, God's special heart for those people who are incredibly vulnerable. And in the ancient world, um, a, a single woman would be unbelievably vulnerable. And, um, the, the interpretations of, of this, uh, of even Moses, like Moses having provision because of the hardness of heart, uh, having this provision for a man to be able to exit, uh, marriage simply by presenting, uh, and again, maybe in practice, uh, it was only, uh, unmarital infidelity that would result in, in, in this, uh, in this divorce. But, um, the fact that there was a school that was like, if your woman un- is unpleasing in any way that you can just divorce her and make her from someone married into someone who is unbelievably vulnerable, who has, has very, has lost her source of, of, of housing, of, of food, of income, all those things. Uh, that, that's, that's a, a, a terrible interpretation of what marriage is and of what, um, and, and, and of, of, of what people should be considering going into marriage. And so I, I guess when I say we've got all sorts of like big questions here, as far as choose your own adventure is we live in, in, in a, uh, in a really interesting culture where we have, uh, we, we Kirk, we've talked in, in the weeks past about purity culture and how that has impacted us. And uh, just this week, I read a horrible article on um, there is a, uh, a pastor we've never named uh, because I'm not that familiar with him, but this article kind of introduced me to him. Um, uh, Steve, Father Steve Macias referenced, I think this guy is the author of this heresy, this federal vision heresy. Um, and the uh, pastor's name is, is Doug Wilson, and he, um, who, he is a man who has no theological training, but he had founded his own denomination um, with about 100 churches. And it's, it's a denomination, Kirk, that Amy Bird referenced um, uh, in her appearance on our podcast in December. Um, and this denomination has a very strict view of men and women. And with the article, uh, basically, um, it's very much a purity culture denomination and church. Uh, and, um, the article detailed, uh, the abuse of women, um, in, in the church setting and, uh, in, in this church, they had no provision for the hardness of heart of, of, of God's people, which is a reality, uh, uh, 
like that's life, right? That that there is sin, and um, there are very good reasons um for divorce, for separation, and for divorce. Um, and it was just heartbreaking to read because um, so many people we know, Kirk, um, who want to be to show fidelity to Scripture, that they look at this and they say, "We've become one." We like it is sinful to separate. And so many women stay in abusive relationships because they believe that that is the faithful thing to do. Um, because, you know, we believe in this theology of the cross and, and that, that through suffering we are, are redeemed. And, and it's, it's, it's just horrifying that, that um, in the church, they aren't given better advice to say uh, that the best thing for you is, is to separate from your husband and to protect yourself. And so like some of the horrifying things that I saw was like um, men who, who would um, actually rape their, their wives um, and these women filled with shame. And the only reason they married him in the first place is because they had premarital sex um, and they felt like the only like moral thing to do would be to because they are sort of sort of tainted by this and became one flesh. The only path forward is to marry this man. And this man, beca- uh, th- these men, multiple examples of this, um, became serial abusers and they remained in this relationship. And the guidance of the church was, well, fidelity to this is means um, you need to remain in this. So because of the hardness uh, of and the sin uh, in the world, like there has to be provision to protect the vulnerable. And so the, the question is not like what is permitted um, as far as like, um, I see a better option here and I would like to pursue that because my wife isn't a good cook. And the question also isn't, um, how much do I have to suffer before I am allowed to protect myself? Um, that, uh, we need to understand like the purpose of marriage. And, uh, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Cause like, I've been talking about all sorts of things like purity culture that get people on the wrong track with marriage and then they stick with the wrong marriage. So please help me out yes. and just interrupt me. Yes. So, I've been I've been thinking about Ephesians five as kind of the Rosetta Stone or maybe the, the the keystone to help unlock what's happening here, right? So we have this lovely pairing of texts. We have Mark ten here with Genesis two, and Genesis two um, comes uh, immediately on the heels of of the creation story, right? So um, you have um, uh, every day of creation, you have kind of this this um, crescendo of binaries, right? Light, dark, sea, land, day, night. Um, and what is the climax of this crescendo of binaries? Is man male and, and female? Yes, yep, male and female. Um, so there's something in the fabric of creation that expresses divine love, that expresses mm. relationship, that if, expresses perfect complementarity. And I know that. That word is is loaded for some people. I don't sure. mean it in that yeah. sense, but I mean, right. but I yeah. mean the sense that that, that, that God creates um, kind of these beautiful binaries that together, um, like two themes in a symphony, are, are greater than the sum of their parts. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah. that that's kind of what we see here. And the climax of that, of course, is male and female, and the coming together of male male and female. We have since come to call marriage. Um, but what we see in Saint Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that. Um, that climax in Genesis 2 isn't, isn't actually the real climax, but is just a picture of mm. the final wedding feast, sure. right? Christ and the church, yeah. right? So um, to kind of take a platonic view of it, we, we see mm. here in this life a pale instantiation of what will be the true joining together um, of the bride, the church, 
presented spotless before the, the, the groom. Um, and we see as well, we see in uh, Ephesians 5, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, really a, a, a lovely picture of, of what that looks like. Kirk, would you, would you read a sample of that? Um, so you've referenced Ephesians 5, but for our listeners who aren't you know, familiar yeah. with that passage. Yep. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, right? So what does a loving groom do? What does a loving husband do? But, but present his wife beautiful and spotless, right? So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And so we see there, of course, the, 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 true, the true nature of marital love is self-giving and the pouring out of oneself. Um, and, and, and in these wretched examples that you just gave, um, you, you had men doing, well, exactly the opposite, right? And that, yeah, that isn't yeah. marriage in any meaningful sense of the word as St. Paul described it, is it? Sure. <laughs> So, um, and, and that to me has always, um, oh, maybe I should have done more, more preparation on this. Um, that, is, that has been a stirring mystical picture. Um, I, I think that there's probably no, uh, none of us can probably exceed St. Paul in um, a mystical rendering of the true meaning of marriage. How, how what we see here is a, mm. is a pale reality and in some ways a type, a shadow of, of the true marriage to come. Um, but it gives yeah, us I mean, a but, but think about Jesus teaching. Yeah, but think about Jesus teaching about like in in the life to come, we will not take one another in marriage. So like, well, like as as we become one flesh in this life, um, it, it is not this thing that that extends on into um, the new creation, right? Because it is just a, a a foretaste, a type, and a shadow of of the the, the marriage uh, of the Lamb, um, the the like the wedding feast of the, of the Lamb of, of Christ and His Church. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. it 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 is is only a picture to kind of dimly um, help us understand like what is to come. Yeah, but and and, see, and and we distort it, um, and that's and that's a shame. But to see what is to come, we must first die. Speaking of someone who died. <laughs> Today, we have a very brief culture segment because 
Um, Christopher and I foolishly dithered before hitting record and we are running out of time. So we want to talk about um, a comedian that died a couple weeks ago that we intended to talk about last week and didn't get a chance to. Uh, and one that I, Christopher, I didn't realize just how good and how formative he was until he died. And so it's very sad. And that is Norm MacDonald. We want to talk about um, Norm MacDonald and, and in, our, in our texting back and forth and sharing little bits. And um, we, I realized, Christopher, that he had struck both of us. And I was mm. asking around at work and it didn't really kind of strike a lot of my colleagues. Really? And, really? And I, actually, oh, I, think there's, I think there's a huge generational divide. I started mm. like, kind of with a twinkle in my telling, telling a millennial coworkers, like, I'm like, all right, I'm polling all the millennials in the building. Who is Norm MacDonald? Go. And they had a deer in headlights look and they're like, mm. uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. Um, because so he was fired from SNL in 1998. Yes. And since 1998, I mean, he had a kind of a failed sitcom, Yep. Um, and then he was known for just like odd things, like, like as, being as the like, cranky uncle in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that. Oh my goodness. And, and he'd be uh, really Kirk. One of the things that I've been watching a lot recently on YouTube is his uh, appearances on late night talk shows. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And that may be where his legacy is because, yeah. you know, he did a, a, a Kirk. Did you watch any of his Netflix show? Uh, yes. Norm McDonald. Did yes. you watch that recently or back when it came out? Uh, I watched one or two when it came out. And then recently I've been watching highlights. I, I, I intend to now faithfully go okay. through it. Yeah. But, but boy, is it a weird show. And Norm intends it to be. Yes. Yep. Like that's part of, of, of the genius of the show is that like you watch them like walk onto the set at no point. Like the, the, like the fourth wall is kind of broken. Like yes. they walk through the door talking and there, there are like the show's going. And then in the first show with David Spade, he uh, <laughs> he's like, okay, we're going to take a break now. And, and David Spade's like, doesn't believe him. I was like, what do, what do you mean? Like, are we even, you know, record Like, what do you mean? Take a break. There's no commercials. This is Netflix. Uh, like what's happening. And like Norm, I think what he intended as a joke because of David Spade's reaction, he like took several breaks that they would just like keep recording through just to see like, what is it? What will they say when they think we're on a break? And then he'll be like, oh, all right, we're back. And it's like, <laughs> back from what there's no break and um and just the way that like he would kind of tr he so he had this sidekick adam egot yes yep, yep. almost nothing and you're like wh who you know and the, the the norm fans would know who he is from previous things um uh but but uh but that was part of the joke and so some of the guests he would just troll um some of them uh he was unbelievably quick on his feet he was bizarre Kirk and what was amazing to me is that you or I could tell one of his jokes and nobody would laugh right but the way he delivered a joke he it was just Kirk I you know I know we talked about like his grin and he was a mischievous kid like that he got fired um because he couldn't help himself like essentially uh he got fired from SNL because he wouldn't stop telling OJ jokes and an executive at NBC was a friend of OJ who had been an yep. employee at NBC Sports for decades. And, and it wasn't Lauren Michaels that, that uh, is it Michaels or Michael? Anyway, Lauren it wasn't Michaels, Lauren yeah. that fired him. Uh, it was this executive above Lauren right. who, who uh, and, and he couldn't help it because it was good comedy. And like, you're not going to stop Norm from doing good comedy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I asked a rhetorical question of myself. What, what made his humor so unique? And I have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, he was devoid of mockery or malice, 
Um, there were rarely a there was really a butt to any of his jokes. And some beloved comedians, um, if they sense weakness, will just slice someone up. Um, and that wasn't him. A, a famous example of this that people have talked about since his death is the Bob Saget roast. Um, and uh, I guess comedian roasts can be like mm. really vile affairs. Yeah. yeah. And what he did was he did like the hundred the hundred uh, dad jokes. Like he pulled out like the corniest of cornball jokes, told like eight of them, and then thanked Bob Saget for being such um uh like a uh, such a such a, a loving patron to fellow comedians mm. and and, a, and actually a really kind man and a man mm. who had opened many doors for him and that's not what you do at roast but like right that's what only what norm knew how to do <laughs> it was and, really and interesting i don't know if he did that because of this kirk but um some the the producer of of the roast right before he went on was like really he said to norm he said give just give it to bob sake just go really hard on him <laughs> And so I don't know if the mischievous oh, child inside of Norm was like, like, no, no, or I, if, I like Bob, <laughs> right? Or if all along, if he had planned to to just just do that bit, I don't know. But he was a one of kind. But like that that bit is an example how Norm was always probably three steps ahead of everybody in the room. Yes. And yes. so if everyone in the room was going to zig, he was going to zag with that stupid with a stupid grin on his face. And about three quarters of the way long, you realize like, oh. This is really genius. Yeah. Um, so there's the moth joke. The moth joke has been. And Kirk, can I? Can I? I'm going to interrupt you to yeah. tell the background to that moth joke. Okay. Is that uh, he? Norm was only going to be on the show for one segment, and somebody canceled. And because this happens in in late show entertainment, is people cancel at the last minute. And you're like, how do we fill this time? How? And and they came to Norm, and they're like, we need you to fill. We need you to sit, stay well, for Conan the next segment. Loved Norm. Loved yes. Norm. Yes. Yep. So of course, and Norm and Norm's like, yeah, no, I think, and I'm trying to remember if, if if Norm was angry and was like, well, I'm going to tell the longest joke ever, uh, or if it was just like, okay, I've got a, I've got a way where I can fill an entire segment with basically a, a 12 second joke, you know? Yeah. So well, I mean, Shaggy Dog jokes was one of his thing, and he could riff and riff and riff and string you along. Um, with an inevitable surprise twist, twist, and you yes. end up laughing in spite of yourself as everyone like is like realizing what's happening and he goes through the whole shaggy dog story where he has to retell like something you know it, yeah. something every th like three times in a row until he gets to the twist so but the moth joke is interesting so he was not he didn't a lot of comedians work hard to make you know that they're smart mm, um, right so he he developed in life a, a, a real intense love of russian literature which if you've ever read, read tolstoy or dostoevsky like it's thick and intense and full of um, kind of heavy theological concepts. Um, and uh, the moth joke is a curious nod to Dostoevsky that can be easily missed. Mm. Christopher, do you remember? The moth is an insect serf driven to despair by his overseer named Gregory Alinovich. <laughs> do you remember that? Gregory Alinovich, why? He had to have been reading Dostoevsky. That's the only way. I mean, we know later on that he he kind of made a couple comments that he was into him. Um, he was always smiling, made you feel part of the joke. Um, Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, mm. uh, that that was great. Uh, as Turd Ferguson, big hat. It's funny. Um, Christopher, in Christian in Christian media, there's been uh, the question that's been going on: Was Norm Macdonald a Christian comedian? Mm. A comedian who was Christian? So there was a 2009 interview with Norm Macdonald and he was at, he, uh, 
he asked the audience to consider the question of life after death. And what, what followed that was kind of a postmodern restatement of Pascal's wager. He said, quote, <laughs> I kind of want to do the norm voice, but I'm not going to. He said, hey, it's norm. Hey, <laughs> there's, there's only two things. You've got to look at the evidence that God exists. None. Well, that's not good. Then you go, what's the evidence God does not exist? Well, none. So they're equal. One of them is for sure right. You just have to hazard a guess at that point. So what, what I do is I have two choices. When I have two choices, I, I go, what do you do? What do you got? The guy goes, when you die, we get to go up and play in a harp on a cloud. Well, God darn it. I've always wanted to play a harp. What have <laughs> you got? What happens when you die in your plan? They put dirt on you. <laughs> and so, I mean, just with, he's doing Pascal's wager, yeah. but with comedy, right? Yeah. That's actually, um, that, that is something when you, and he has said before, faith is a decision. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like I have faith. Like I decided, um, this is a bet I'm going to take, um, that, that, that God is real. And if he's real, I want to, um, I want to be with him <laughs> in the afterlife. How about nine silent years of cancer, Christopher? Yeah. Um, the closest he ever came to referring to his disease was in a stand-up bit that mocked uh, kind of the fashionable rhetoric of battling cancer, right? That's the word we use, battling cancer. He said, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that if you die, the cancer dies at the same time. That's not a loss. That's a draw. (laughs) (laughs) So people often, um, people who have cancer now often attempt stoicism in the face of cancer. Mm. So unlike stoicism or other secular ethical systems, Christianity almost uniquely invites its adherents to find value in the suffering because it Mm. allows one to unite oneself with Christ. Um, And, uh, and he didn't, kind of glory in his battle with cancer. He just quietly um, did his own weird show on Netflix and kind of did the projects he wanted to do. And um, now he's a, he's in the arms of his Lord. Yeah. And I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. 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 Kirk, uh, I don't know why I feel like that's a beautiful way to end it, but uh, I don't know why I feel the need to, to insert this that uh, twice, not once, but twice he lost everything gambling oh that too Uh, happens in russian novels (laughs) i mean he's he's a guy uh complicated guy brilliant guy who who didn't uh his comedy was essentially based on pretending he wasn't brilliant (laughs) right yes um and uh he i think was tortured in in many ways like why does one gamble his life away twice um but ultimately, yeah, like he was very curious about uh, Christianity. And um, I know we have a desire to take the people that we love and um, put them on our team, um, even if it doesn't fit perfectly well. Uh, but uh, based on the things that, that have been, look, all kinds of quotes, because like he never like, had, you know, wrote an article saying I'm a Christian and, and I, but like, he laid the, the breadcrumbs everywhere. Yeah. And in fact, yep. in one interview I was listening to, he, he referred to his pastor. He said, my pastor says this, um, as, as they were talking about uh, things of faith, um, which is, which is fascinating that, that he had this like uh, comedic public life. And then this really interesting and deep interior life that we only got glimpses into. And I think that that all of that um, coming together made his, his comedy brilliant. So I would encourage you, if you don't know who he is, if you don't love him, just look up Norm Macdonald, uh, on, on YouTube and uh, obviously watch the, the SNL, the, the um, 
above the weekend update, watch the celebrity jeopardy clips, but yeah. then watch him, watch the moth joke, watch the, yeah. the late, um, the late night appearances with all, all of the, the hosts. Um, he, he had a way of making Conan O'Brien laugh that mm. like Conan could not control um, that uh, there, there are times where hosts kind of fake laughter and you can tell right. when it's fake. And there are times when like the way that Norm would shock uh, the host uh, and the way he could shock Conan was, was, um, was something you could tell that Conan O'Brien looked forward to. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I could talk about Norm for 20 more minutes, uh, but we should wrap in prayer. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly serve you in good works. To the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross, that he might draw the whole world to himself, mercifully grant that we, who glory in the mystery of our redemption, may have grace to take up our cross and follow him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. Next week.